Hey everyone, I'm Rebecca Lloyd, the founder of This Independent Life, and this is the This Independent Life podcast. I'll be shining a light on people working to support personal independence for all, across industries and in their own unique way. Through inspiring conversations, storytelling, and real talk, you'll learn how to trust the process, how to uncover and pursue your true purpose, and how to embrace your independence and thrive in this independent life. Let's jump in. Alrighty, Afi, welcome to the This Independent Life podcast. I'm so happy to have you as a guest. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I like to start at the beginning. What did you want to be when you grew up and did your career and life path follow what you expected from what you studied at school or university? Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Great. My father was a diplomat, so we, you know, used to travel a lot. And I always wanted to grow up and be a diplomat because I liked the lifestyle of going to different countries, learning about different cultures, uh, learning different languages. And the language that we spoke at home was never spoken outside of home, right? And to me, this was normal. But then, you know, life as we know it, revolutions happen, plans change, and you have to adapt. So Iranian revolution happened in the late 70s. I was already at school here and we were stateless. So there went the idea of being a diplomat, working for a foreign office that represented a country, my country, because I had no country. And so, no, it didn't follow the path. But, you know, something else comes along. You get a new country and that becomes your home. And you learn that plans most of the time are like daydreaming. You shouldn't really hold them as a benchmark. That's what I should do because none of my plans worked. So (laughs) (laughs) So there is my nugget of wisdom is have plans, but don't be too worried if you, you you can't follow them. Do you think, I mean, I know nothing about being a diplomat. What was it specifically about being a diplomat that really interested you out of curiosity? I think the fact that you really had to absorb the culture of your host country, right? So mm. we lived in the Gulf country that we lived in Kuwait. I went to an Arabic school. I had to learn the language. And, you know, in three, four years, and, you know, and every time the diplomat also has to learn the language. So my dad had to be totally up to scratch with whatever language the country he was sent to spoke. And, and I think, you know, from a very young age, I just, I was fascinated by other cultures and how other people live. And you actually become quite tolerant because something that you think is of so important, you suddenly realise actually it's not important at all for other cultures. So I think that's what attracted me most, is the fact that the world is a global village, that old cliche. And that was more me than being anchored into one place. And then I met my husband, who was the complete opposite. You know, he comes from Lancashire. <laughs> you know, he stayed put. He knows exactly where his primary school is. He knows where his secondary school is. He has friends from, you know, when he was at primary school. My primary school was bombed in Kuwait during the Iraq war. Like, my primary school didn't exist. And everything I know as a child has changed because... That part of the world, the Middle East has changed. But it was, I think it was being rootless in a way that attracted me. I love that. So that sounds quite different to what you're doing now. I'd love to hear what inspired you to do what you're doing now. And how does what you're doing support independence for women? Well, I set up Frida, which is an eco-period care brand. And I think I, I didn't set out to be this advocate for menstrual equality because like everyone else, I never thought about it. And I think it was when my daughter Sophia was 15, she developed anorexia 
and you know she was in recovery and one sign of physical recovery not necessarily emotional recovery although emotionally she was in recovery is the return of your periods so the whole house we're waiting for her periods to start i'm married to a gynecologist so for him this is like what he does and you just think about periods all the time and and sophia's like thinking oh you know my periods haven't come back and it was at the same time of syrian refugee crisis so you're watching news footage and if this wasn't what we were talking about at home. I probably would have looked the footage and would have felt like everyone else, oh, these poor people, how can they not be let into various countries? And I was thinking, oh my God, this could be me. But with it, given the background, you know, I was looking at these women and girls and the first thing I think, oh my God, what do they do? So there they are, homeless, they're living out of their plastic bags, not even suitcases, and no European countries letting them in, no privacy. So what happened? This is a culture that you can't even say the word periods, right? I mean, it's, it's like full of euphemisms and codes. So that got me thinking because I'd taken a career break when Sophia got ill and I was a management consultant. So it was just like, okay, I don't want to get back to that corporate world and I want to do something that fits with where I am in life. So that got me thinking. And so I started looking back with my research management consultant hat on and I was horrified what I found and that this is a time when we were looking at what juice we drink. You know, it should be chemical free. You know, it's got to be this free from everything. Whereas the most intimate product we use for 30 years of our lives, month in, month out, nobody actually thought what goes in my product. So for everyone, including myself, cotton-like comfort in my head was cotton, right? So in fact, you look at your tampons and the pads, there's nothing cotton in them because they're like, nobody has to say what's in them. We don't know what's in our toothpaste. We don't know what's in our detergents. So as a category, it was quite nebulous. And the fact that there is this taboo and shame around it, you know, it had escaped that sort of consumer scrutiny. So that got me thinking, okay, can there be an alternative? So I started researching and I found this amazing supplier in uh, Sweden. So I went and met up with them and, you know, and, and they just got very excited. Thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, we, could, we could work with you. <laughs> and it was a product that you're looking at. And, you know, and also I wanted to have purpose because there's no point in, especially as a community of women, you know, we don't have that old boys network, right? And mm-hmm. it's something that we've got to accept, right? <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm not somebody who's sort of like goes on smashing patriarchy, but there are these unconscious biases that are so entrenched in our culture that we just need to be aware of them and where we can is to create a little chink. And so I thought, well, you know, we need to have give back. I need to build a community where women feel that obviously this is a normal biological process that half the world's population is going through. Not everybody has access. So why don't we advocate for almost universal access? Why don't we actually make people aware of period poverty? So, you know, it started up on these three tenets. You know, it's got to be sustainable. You know, it's got to be ethical and has to have a give back. And there was Frida. There is where we are now. And it's been fantastic because for me, as an, you know, it allows me my independence and I'm not in some corporate straitjacket where you have to follow the corporate line, which I did for many, many years. And it, listen, it's, not, it's never going to make me millions or even thousands. But the fact that period poverty became quite a big thing when I first started with Hazel Mead, my illustrator, nobody knew Hazel, nobody knew Frida. And she made, did these incredible illustrations. You know, it went viral, whereupon then Procter & Gamble commissioned her to do something on period poverty. And that's what change is about, right? Wow. Is when you get big organizations thinking, maybe we're just slightly out of tune with what women want. So, you know, yes, it's, it's been an exciting experience. 
That's amazing. I'm curious how you have navigated this, like you mentioned kind of big corporations and their role. They're obviously still incredibly dominant in the space of women's health. How do you navigate that? Like, do you feel like there's, you know, specific things that need to be done to partner with them to make greater change? Or do you think it's about doing things differently? Like, actually, actually that's a very, very good and insightful question because, you know, we are talking not just big corporates, local corporates. I mean, these are global conglomerates which nobody can take on because their advertising budget is in millions. So it depends like why you set up a company, right? So if I had started Frida thinking, I'm going to take on the likes of P&G, I'm going to take on Tampax, which has been the market leader forever. I've set myself up to fail. I can't do that. What I set up to do was to change the space, change the narrative around periods. And so the first thing we did was look at the terminology. And I, I will explain how this changes and comes about. And this is how you navigate. So I thought, like, first of all, they're not sanitary products because sanitary products implies that they're dirty, right? right. <laughs> they're not hygiene products. So if you can have hair care, eye care, dental care, why can't we have period care? So it immediately started calling it period care. And they're now called period care. So these are little changes that I'm not saying that I was solely responsible, but, you know, you start calling it period care, then you talk about period care wherever you go. And the likes of PNG and Bodyform, SSE, all these massive companies, they want to sell. So, you know, you create a new category mm. thinking, actually, you know, I'm not some sort of fast moving consumer, like I'm not, I'm not detergent. And period products can actually be nicely branded. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have to be hidden in some back shelf in the, in the supermarket. You just create a little niche. And I was very lucky that when we first launched it, because of its messaging, we, we had no money. A lot of newspapers wanted to write about it because it was just a new story. Refugees were happening. I was a refugee. So the way you navigate is you tap into your own personal story because you become the brand, right? You are the personal face of the brand, which a conglomerate can't do, who is the face of P&G. And as somebody once said to me, you are that nippy speedboat you can go in and out of choppy waters. These big companies, they're cruise liners. By the time you change direction and they want to follow, something else has happened. So be agile. And I thought that was the best advice I'd got. You know, you go down one line and think, it's not working. Well, I can just change. Not P&G, not these big companies. They have to go through layers of management. So it's one of the greatest benefits of being independent is you literally have to trust your instinct saying, this is not working for me. And just because someone else does it, why should I? And it's not easy because we're so used to, in a way, thinking if somebody's bigger and has got more money, they've obviously got the key to success, but they don't. They've bought their place in the market by spending money. And it's funny how ingrained we are. We've just come back from a trip from Costa Rica and it's rainy season. So when Google Maps says go, we very quickly realize it doesn't mean you can go because roads end up in rivers, right? <laughs> but even like my husband, I was saying, hey, but it, Google says, and you're saying, but, but Google doesn't know that... <laughs> like, Google's not God. <laughs> Google's not God. And just because Google says this is a road, we can see with our own eyes that this is not a road. So we need to turn around. And I think is that level of thinking, I know it's Google, but as you said, Google is not God. Tampax, yes, it holds 90% of the market, but you know what? There are so many women out there and only if I could have 1% of the market, I'd be delighted. So it's knowing what your own capabilities are and having, knowing what it is you want from this. And mine was never to take them on head on. It's actually help, you know, and I think once they take up your message, that's success. Mm. Yeah. 
I love that. So that's a good segue, actually. You just mentioned the market. As someone who works in the health space, what is your perspective on the current situation for women in that sector specifically? And what do you think needs to change or how can we go about improving things? Well, there are two sides to this. There's one, women in the health space, as in, if you like, as a consumer. Mm -hmm. I think as a consumer, it's progress. We're in a much better space today than five years ago. There is a lot more talk about menopause, about endometriosis, about periods. And the talk actually is very factual, which is what we want. I've never been, I remember one of, another startup, like, you know, they had tote bags says, be proud of your vagina. I think, you know what? I don't necessarily need to go that far, right? <laughs> you know, I can't imagine myself having this tote bag and doing my shopping in Waitrose because these were the women they're aiming for, right? Their whole visuals is very much your Waitrose woman. I think we need to accept that women's health, like any other uh, reproductive health, it's personal, but it's not secret, right? So mm. I think we should we shouldn't feel obligated to be able to talk about it like as if it's nothing. No, you know, we've got to respect that as individuals, we have our own ways of dealing with our issues, but we should be able to have a safe space where we can talk about it. We, sh we should not have shame. In terms of companies, startups trying to get into this space, it's still hugely challenging because globally less than 2% is put into female founded startups even less than that i think it's like 0.2 percent is going into taboo areas so it is still challenging but i'm an eternal optimist so i think women themselves can bring about change right you empower the user the consumer the person who goes to their gp and you say you know like don't take no for an answer the gp isn't expected to know everything and if you've read about menopause, for example, you tell them, you know, the latest research, and this is like, you know, these are the nice guidelines. And that's what we always say, take the printout and show it to your GP saying, you know, HRT is fine. So I think it's putting information. I, I, I'm a great believer in data. I mm -hmm. think evidence-based data is key to progress. And if you can put that information out, you're empowering the individual to go, and look after their own health. And I think this is the way we just need to feel more empowered. And uh, as you said, nobody's God, actually, right? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, but it's it's progress, no doubt. Scotland making period products free is fantastic. I have a serious issue with the word free because I always say, nobody says, we have free loo paper because they just provide loo paper. Mm. And I'm thinking, well, you just provide period products. You have to drop the word free. You're not doing people a favor. This is not a luxury item that you feel, oh, look, my you know, employees get free period products. So something we're working on. So gradually, I'd like to see everybody dropping the word free because when you make the comparison to toilet paper, people think, oh, you're right, actually. So we have to accept that bathrooms and bathroom provisions have been designed by men for men. And it will take time to change that. As I said, these aren't luxury items and they should be available wherever if there is free loo paper they should be period products so that's my view mm. but so yes much much better place but still a way to go yeah that resonates with me so much because especially when you're talking about shame and going to the doctors because i have endometriosis and it was something that took me 10 years to get diagnosed partly because you're going in and you're kind of trusting this person in i guess a position of power i have family who are in you know nurses doctors so it's like oh well I know how much training they yeah. go through you you don't think to bring data or bring these things because you think oh well you know I'm this lowly patient yeah. so yeah I absolutely love that 
an evidence-based approach I think some people are like oh well I'm not a scientist or you know that kind of sometimes turns them off but actually evidence-based just means you're bringing facts yes (laughs) or Or you're sharing and I think you know endometriosis is a very very good example I mean as women from a very young age we think periods should be painful Mm -hmm. they're painful and sometimes they're heavy advertising hasn't helped so when you're given a pad and almost a bucket of liquid is poured into it then you think actually my periods aren't that heavy and so we were looking at adverts i remember my husband and i said he's a gynecologist and he said if a woman got such heavy bleeding they they don't need this pad they need to be an a and e right mm. because but it's been normalized right so you know that's why it's so many things we just accept and i think we've got to accept that any health issues that impacts your day-to-day life needs addressing right you know i was one of the people who like for the first two days of my period I was just in agony. Mm-hmm. I would still go to work and I would have to like go and hide under my desk, like, you know, so that I could just have 10 minutes where I wasn't feeling sick. That's not normal. No. You know, somebody once asked me, you know, what are your views on, you know, sort of menstrual leave? And I said, no, we don't need menstrual leave. You don't have migraine leave. It's just <laughs> like you should be able to say, can I work from home today? We don't need to legislate if we're trying to normalize. Mm. So... Uh, for the record, I'm against legislating for menstrual leave. I'm all for women being able to say, I'm on my period, I'm not up to it, can I work from home? Advocating for yourself. Yes, totally. Because I think if you wait for other people to advocate for you, people will let you down. You know your body best, you know your position, situation best. Why not be able to just say that? And you will be able to because people can say that if they have terrible headaches and they can't go in. They have COVID, they can't go in. So that's what we want it to be. Periods are a sign of health. If women don't have periods, the world wouldn't exist. We need to talk about what periods actually mean, how the world owes their literally life to periods. Yeah, so that's that's my view. <laughs> I love that, I love that. <laughs> what does independence mean to you? I think it's independence of thought. I think to be able to think without the constraints of societal orthodoxy. Right? Because if that's the way, then we won't have change. Being independent doesn't necessarily mean you're right, but I think it gives you the right to fail. And personally, I'm all for failure. I've always encouraged my children to, if you don't fail, it doesn't mean you haven't tried, you haven't stepped outside of your comfort zone. So yes, independence for me is not necessarily being financially independent or, you know, that's all good. We've always gained that. But I think not just for women, but for you know, young girls, boys in the world of, you know, social media is to be able to think for yourself. And I'm afraid there's a long way to go there. You know, I think we just, we're living in a world where our thoughts are already predetermined for us by either, you know, what TikTok has got to say, uh, what, you know, media has to tell us. So it takes, you know, a lot to think, actually, what do I think of this? So that's when I call the light bulb moment. You know, I, I'm not into finger wagging. This is what you must think. But it's like, what do you think? Just go with and believe in what you think and verbalize it. I have two young nieces or they're now 14 and 15. And they're, God, I don't want to be 14 and 15. But yeah, <laughs> for them to allow themselves to have an opinion, which may in any way diverge with what their friends think or the YouTuber they listen to thinks, it's a pretty difficult job uh, because it's groupthink. And uh, so, yes, I think for me, it's all about the individual. What do you think has caused that shift away from people feeling like they have that independence of thought and they can share their opinion? 
you know, I'm not quite sure. I just think, you know, the whole... And I'm not anti-social media. I think, you know, it serves a purpose. Mm -hmm. But we all want to be validated. And I think the likes, you know, when you've got a thousand likes, you've got a hundred thousand followers, somehow gives you, gives that person a slightly higher level of accuracy, if you like, in their thoughts. So I look at my nieces, but so-and-so on YouTube said this, right? And they've got millions of followers. So it's getting away that numbers doesn't necessarily mean they're right. They might be, right? But you've got to decide. It's always about taking a step back. Just take a step back and think, do I really agree? So I think, I think that's the first stage. And the next thing is to be able to verbalize it. We'll have to work towards that. And like for my nieces, was like, when they have their periods, like I said, you know, put your hand up. If you need to get to the loo, just put your hand up. They said, oh, but we can't, they're in a co-ed school. So they said, oh, you know, miss, I need to go to the toilet. And the woman says, no. And I said, if she says no, you just say, I need to go. So now they literally just walk out of the class because they've said, <laughs> I'm on my period. And the teacher says, you should have gone before. Wow. And they said, well, I didn't need to go then. I need to go now. And I, I can see the shift in them is to make them think, you know, you do that, then your friend will be able to do the same. And before you know it, the teacher has to allow you. But it takes time. Mm. It takes time. But it just being, being conscious. I think all we need to do, like with period products, is ask the question is, what's in my product? Do I know? And then if you're happy what's in your product, fair enough. There's nothing wrong with them. Or does every purchase I make, should it mean something, mm. right? And, you know, we're living in a world where what we buy does make a difference. So, yeah, I mean, that's what I think. Amazing. So going back a little bit, or I guess looking forward a little bit, what is the one thing that you would recommend to your younger self or to people looking to embrace their independence and follow their true purpose in life? What would I say to my younger self would be, until this morning, I wish I'd said to myself, is don't allow uncertainty to stop you from doing something. If you've been asked to go somewhere, it's not because people have made a mistake. <laughs> I thought I'd been, I said, pick the wrong person for this conference. Because we naturally doubt, doubt whether we should be there, you know, we're like exams, your university, oh God, I don't know how I got there. I just fluke, I got a good grade. I think it's just part of our DNA. So, you know, I look at, I've got a son and a daughter. He feels he belongs wherever he goes. They've been brought up exactly the same way. Sophia is always double checking herself. And why is that? So I think once we accept, maybe this is just part of our DNA and we've got to fight against it. And even as a mother, I still like have to think, oh, I'm not so sure. Like, uh, should I really be part of this event? Uh, so yeah, I think, I think to my younger self and to my current self, I would say, yes, you belong. Just trust your gut feel, trust your instincts. And even if you're wrong, that's fine. Learn from it, right? It's like riding a bike. We don't all suddenly become Tour de France riders and winners, but we all need to ride a bike. So and we all fall off and the third wheel has to come off. And it's fun. For me, life is like riding a bike. <laughs> Sometimes on roads with potholes. But, uh... <laughs> Those are some wise words. No, I really love that. If people want to learn more about what you're doing with Frida or anything else, where can they go to learn more? They'll go to www.myfrida.com. There's a story to myfrida.com. Frida, as a website, the company's called Frida, as a website costs almost $100,000 when I first started. And I looked and I thought, I can't afford that. Myfrida.com was $1.99 a year. So there is always a solution. Mm -hmm. And actually, my Frida is much nicer. 
for that sense of community. So yes, they can go to myfrida.com. Frida, again, a little history, so how things come together. So I thought of the name is Project Frida because I thought about it while I was sitting in a cafe called Jack's Wife Frida. And uh, mm. when I was talking to the Nordic people, they went, oh my God, Afi, the name Frida is genius. And I went, oh, is it? Like, why? <laughs> and they said, well, because you're working with us you know, in Sweden, and in Nordic mythology, Frida is a goddess of fertility. Wow. There we go. So I thought, well, it wasn't genius, right? You know, (laughs) but I can see why it's actually quite appropriate. So yeah, you know, life has a way of just proving things to one, if you allow it to. So my final words are, go to myfrida.com, be open-minded, and the world isn't all about one person or one company. Make your own path. Just trust yourself that you will succeed, as I'm sure you will do with your podcast. Thank you for including <laughs> me in, in this series. Thank you so much, Abby. This has been so incredible. You are such an inspiration, everything you're doing. And thank I'm you. I'm so, so grateful for your insights, your experience, just everything. So thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of This Independent Life. For more inspiring conversations, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts where we have more for you to enjoy. If you liked this episode and want to help spread the word, please do rate, review and share with your community. We love seeing you share the love, so feel free to tag us using at This Independent Life. For more information on other This Independent Life activities, or if you have any requests for who you'd like to see on the podcast in future, check out our website at thisindependentlife.co and subscribe to our newsletter. Message us on Instagram or get in touch at rebecca at thisindependentlife.co. DMs are always welcome. I hope this podcast has helped you feel inspired to embrace this independent life, whatever that may look like for you. Until next time, I'm Rebecca Lloyd and you've been listening to This Independent Life.